going into the space, I kind of had the mindset of let's just buy one a year for the next 10 years. And I do, I, I think that sounds great until you get in the space and then you're like, uh, it's like the old, uh, the old wise tale I heard with, with getting a tattoo. They're like, it's a mile to the first tattoo and then an inch to the second one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think, I think short term rentals is kind of the same thing that like, you know, it's a big buildup and a big commitment to get that first one. Once you get the first one, you're like, all right, how do I get two? How do I get three? How do I get four? Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. It's 11.32 p.m. on a Thursday night and you wake up in a panic. You forgot to send your guests the custom lockbox combination for your Airbnb and you missed the 17 messages they sent saying that they couldn't get in because you enabled sleep mode on your iPhone. You know, to try and cut down on screen time before bed and all. After apologizing profusely and sending them a bottle of bubbly in hopes that they won't leave you a one-star review, you think to yourself, how do other hosts stay on top of guest communications? The answer? They use Guesty for Hosts, an easy-to-use rental management platform. With features like automated messages that send important communications to guests at the exact right times, you'll never have to jeopardize your beauty sleep again. Guesty for Hosts allows short-term rental hosts to manage listings from Airbnb, VRBO, and Booking.com in one calendar and send a series of automated messages before, during, and after the guests stay. The platform also has features that help you manage cleanings, build a custom booking website, and so much more. You can start your 14-day free trial today, no credit card or setup fee or commitment required, and you can cancel any time if you don't love it. And it gets even better. While getting started for the first time, use the discount code SPONSTANIUS for 20% off your first year. Again, that's SPONSTANIUS. Use that discount code at checkout for 20% off your first year. In just a moment, you meet Taylor Jones, head of acquisition at Superhost Labs. Taylor was working in sales when COVID hit. A few weeks after the world shut down, Taylor's job was put on a two-month pause, and he knew he had to start looking for a new frontier. Taylor had always dreamed of getting into real estate, but had never quite known where to start. With newfound time on his hands, and with, well, nowhere to really go, he began Googling. After watching more than 200 hours of YouTube videos, streaming a plethora of STR podcasts, and reading through dozens and dozens of blog articles, Taylor finally pulled the trigger on his first ever short-term rental. And while he didn't know it at the time, this decision would ultimately open up an entirely new career trajectory for Taylor. Tune in to hear the story behind how Taylor Jones became the head of acquisition at Superhost Labs, a short-term rental investment startup, and became one of the leading voices on all things STRs on Twitter at MrJonesSTRs. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet. All right, Taylor. So if if I were to grab a happy hour with you and, and some of your closest friends, and if I were to if I were to ask your buddies to to tell me about Taylor Jones, what what do you imagine they'd say right off the bat? Like is there is there a story they might tell or what would they start laughing? Like what how would they talk about who you are? Uh, I think you would definitely get that first laugh uh, about me. They might try and mix a zinger in um, as I would dish it out to them. So I've learned that if I'm going to dish them out, I have to be willing to take them back. So um, I, I don't really get rubbed the wrong way too often or anything because I feel like I've dished enough out over the years. And what they probably say is my business pursuit. Um, you know, I've dipped my hand in a bunch of different buckets and sales over time, pursued different business aspects um, home service, um, technology and, and several different options and 
kind of just landed on real estate here. And, uh, you know, now that's, that's kind of where I think my home's going to be set up for a while. And so I think what they'll tell you is, you know, anything I go into, I do a ton of research mm-hmm. and really dive right in and try to see, you know, how my dad always said it was, he wants to poke holes and what was great growing up. My dad being an entrepreneur is, I would come up with a business idea. The entrepreneur blood was always in me and he would always poke holes in it. Huh. And I would always actively encourage it actually, because I, I wanted to have people say things or see things from their angle that I'm not looking at. You know, what are these pitfalls that I'm not looking at or, or seeing? And so it was all really good. And that gave me a good mindset and, and approach to how, you know, to pursue life and pursue business and, and whatever I'm going to do. So I try to really deep dive, find as many angles, you know, pros, cons, you know, mini SWOT analysis type of thing. And gives you the best chance to succeed if you're going to jump into something. And then when I do jump in, you know, I, I do go all in. Mm. And so I think they'll tell you that, that, you know, if I'm, if I'm involved in it, I'm going to go all in. What, what kind of student were you? Were you like a straight A, like perfect student? Were you like one of those students where it's like, Hey, yeah, I will slide by school because I've got all these other creative like pursuits that I'm more interested in. Like how, how were you as a student? I, I was the 3.9 GPA, not, okay. not the best, not the best in class, but definitely, you know, not, not on there. So, um, yeah, say, you know, kind of, t- kind of took that same approach to schooling. Yeah. Did you enjoy school? Cause there, there are also people that like get good grades in school that just like, don't like school. Like, and then there are people that like school and get good grades. Like, are, did you, did you enjoy your, your educational experience? Um, I mean, the experience side, yes. Um, but I would say there were certain topics that, you know, of course, wasn't a huge fan of. I think I, I did enough to get by or enough to succeed. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I got pretty fortunate. My parents installed a really good like work ethic with me and, you know, where other parents might have not paid attention. I think my mom really got into us on staying on top of what homework assignments we had. And um, I think that kind of drove you. And after a while, even when you aren't around and even when, you know, mom's not over your shoulder, I think you just imaginary, like see her right there. And, and it yeah. kind of continues to everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so well said. So well said. So I want to talk about your very first experience staying at an Airbnb or or other short-term rental. I know that from our previous chat a couple of weeks ago, you now prefer to sort of travel exclusively and stay exclusively in short-term rentals um, when you go on vacation, when you travel for work, et cetera. So, but talk to us about your very first experience. Cause I always find that this is like a fun question to, to get people going because at some point everyone has to make the decision of, Oh, you know, maybe I won't stay at a hotel this time. Like what are the other options? And th- there tends to be some sort of interesting story there. So what was the first time that you stayed at an Airbnb? What what kind of place did you stay in? You know, where was it? And what was your, your experience of it like? So the very first place we stayed was this little, I think you would call it like an ADU. It was a little studio in the backyard, mm. really big property in downtown Boulder, Colorado. So Um, If you've ever been to Boulder, Pearl Street is like the main strip with all the restaurants, breweries, bars, the the mall. It's all right there. And so we found this place. And like I said, small kitchenette, little bathroom, uh, a TV and a bed. And that was kind of really all we needed. Just me and, you know, my my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time. And it was a blast. We, we could, we were three blocks from Pearl street. We could walk and the owners, you know, kind of put the message out there like, Hey, we're away. Like, you know, they live on site, but if you want to meet us, they have like a little picnic area uh, and some tables and chairs. So one of the nights we were there, we like messaged them and they brought some drinks out, some water. And we just sat and chatted with them and, wow. and talked about our life in Boulder. So it was actually really cool. And, and I think this was 2015, this would have been here. So um, it, it was really a great first experience, uh, you know, with Airbnb and short-term rentals. When you were talking to like friends or family, like, and you were like, oh yeah, 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 we're going to, we're going to Boulder, but like uh, we're, we're staying in this like studio apartment in like the backyard of like somebody's like, you know, someone else's home. Like were there, were people like, cause at the time, right. 
people didn't know about short-term rentals or, or they didn't think about Airbnb in the, in the way that we all do now. So was there any sort of like hesitation or were people kind of like weirded out by it or had enough people already done it in your circles where it was like, oh, okay, cool. Like you're just staying at an Airbnb instead of a hotel. Yeah, I don't know as much my circles, but more or less my wife, because she'd already done the whole like uh, seven countries in 25 days in Europe thing one summer. Wow. So yeah, there's like a group of like college kids. And so it was like two, three days here, two, three days there. And so she kind of nudged and staying in hostels and being in Europe, my comfort level was not to where hers was, but she's always kind of led the the pitch on travel with huh. us uh, since we've been together. So she kind of was like, yeah, let's do it. And we, we loved it, had a great time. And, and I kind of trusted her and it's, it's been a world whenever. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had to, I had to look at my account. We've stayed in 22 different Airbnbs across the world. So um, I I had to go pull our, our history from the traveler side versus the host side. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And a a real testament to those early hosts um, for getting you all to, to buy in there. So I want to talk about the company that you're, you're working at now and sort of like what you guys are trying to build. So you're part of this founding team at Superhost Labs, which is a community of short-term rental investors. And as we've discussed before, you know, a lot of people that we get on the show are, you know, uh, hosts that have one or two or maybe three properties and they're telling, you know, the story of how they got into short-term rental investing. A lot of these people see this as, you know, not just an investment. It's a, it's a, it's a full-fledged like family business. It's like their heart and soul that they pour into their properties, et cetera. And every once in a while, I like to get somebody on the show who is actually working in, in the business around short-term rentals. So first and foremost, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to chat with us. But I'd love to Certainly. just like hear a little bit more about Superhost Labs, what you guys are doing, what you all are building, and you know what what the founding story behind behind the company is. Yeah, so what, what we're building is an opportunity for people to invest in short-term rentals um, you know, kind of alongside of us. And I think one of the, the key advantages that, that we have we tell people are three T's. It's, it's team, it's technology, and it's traction. So from the team aspect, you know, we sit here today with uh, 14 of us and the founders of the firm kind of strategically picked people across the country and we're all Airbnb super hosts. So, you know, outside of the investment portfolios with us and investors, you know, me and my wife have our short-term rentals. Um, you know, the founders of our firm, they have their own short-term rentals. Our designers have their short-term rentals. Our investor relations team, they have their short-term rentals. So what's really cool is you get the operational collaboration of a bunch of different short-term rentals. And I think this asset class is so unique is that you can't just go hire a banker or a suit or a Wall Street person because, looking at a screen and running projections and pro formas and, and what something might do is, is only half the job mm. and, and maybe not even, you know, this is purely an operational play. And yes, you can cover a lot of mistakes if you buy at the right price or buy in the right location. But if you can't operate them to the maximum extent, it, it's not going to be successful. So from that team aspect, that's what we're building Um, We're also building out a community for short-term rental investors to be able to, um, you know, acquire short-term rentals, use resources. We have some proprietary internal technology that we utilize to be able to underwrite listings um, anywhere in the U.S., um, compare them against, um, you know, AirDNA and other um, projection tools to figure out what's the best markets to invest in. what are the best size properties? Is it better to buy a one bedroom in this market or a five bedroom or a three? And um, looking at all these key metrics, you know, monthly cash flow, IRR, all these good things that, you know, investors look at. So for us, it's just really combining the team aspect, you know, which is arguably pretty unique. And then combining that with our technology. And now we've got really good traction. You know, as we see today, we've got um, just over 23 properties in seven different markets. We're continuing to expand, uh, writing offers every day uh, across the U.S. and continuing to grow this awesome portfolio of short-term rentals. That's awesome. And, you know, I'd love some some more insight into this, this 
asset class is still like so freaking it's at least it feels so freaking new like there's yes. i feel like every other day i'm saying like oh like oh they're getting into this or oh there's a new startup you know that's built a cool brand around that and i just love like like where do you think we are with respect to kind of short-term rentals as as an asset class like are we in inning one are we you know in inning five like where are we you know at the, at the bottom of the ninth like where where do you see us with respect to um the future of of the growth of this as as a real viable asset class for for everyday investors so I love the baseball reference as a washed up ex-baseball guy myself. I would say we're in the second inning okay. um, It's kind of how, how I see it. Yeah. Institutions would love to get in. Um, they are starting to, um, you know, I live here in central Florida, probably the most institutionalized um, location of any short-term rental market is in my backyard here, you know, Disney, Orlando, but if you go look around the country, it is very hard for institutions to get involved. And, you know, we've spoken to several other institutions who want to get into the space, but, you know, for them, their thresholds might be like, hey, we're not going to get in for anything under 25 million or 50 million. And yeah. so even if you had all the capital in the world, where would you go deploy $50 million tomorrow into short-term rentals? It, yeah. it does yeah. not exist. So I think for us, as we build this portfolio, we should have a lot of exit partners that we foresee over the next three to five years when we have a nice diversified portfolio, there's stabilized rents and a rental history attached to it. And that's how an institution can get in is to buy, um, you know, these portfolios. We've actually recently seen a couple small portfolios exit. Um, both of them were eight units, one in North Carolina, one in Wisconsin. So we've already kind of seen on a smaller scale, um, you know, individuals or small groups who have built these little portfolios and they're ready to kind of either exit the space or take some chips off the table. And so I think it's just only going to get bigger as people start exiting these 20, 30, 50, 75 unit portfolios that are built. Up. And that's where institutions will get their appetite is to start purchasing these and running them. So uh, what I hear is that there's still plenty of opportunity and, um, yeah. you know, a, 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 we're, we're, we're super, super early on in, in the game and, uh, and yet there's, there's increasing momentum. Um, so that's, that's exciting. That's really encouraging. And so I, I want, I've got several other questions about the, you know, the business side of things here, but I want to first start, you know, unpacking a little bit more about kind of who you are and how you got into the space. So we first connected on on Twitter. And it was actually I saw some thread that you wrote, that I believe was around sort of like STR investing as as a newbie. Um, and I DM'd you and, and the rest is history. But um, I want to I want to hear a little bit more about how you first got into this space. Like, have you you've said that you've always been pretty entrepreneurial, you've done a lot of different things. How did you ultimately land in not just real estate, but specifically the the STR space? Yeah, so uh, classic, you know, COVID hits March of 2020, always been in sales and business, our, our sales job kind of took a pause uh, for two months. So I kind of had 60 days with that, like, holy smokes, what am I going to do uh, type of thing. And yeah, Real estate's always been an itch. Um, I wanted to be involved some way, shape or form, but didn't know what. And so that time that I really never had gave me the opportunity to start thinking. And it's like, do I want to do wholesaling? Do I want to do multifamily? Do I want to do whatever? So started just going through a ton of real estate asset classes, exploring, you know, do I want to burr? Do I want to wholesale? Do I want to flip? Do I even want to pursue my real estate license? Like mm. looked at a bunch of different options and, I, I think naturally all signs pointed right back to short-term rentals uh, being the fact that I've stayed in, in so many Airbnbs and had that different experience level already. I just continued to explore. And surely if you go put in 200 hours of YouTube videos, read a bunch of bigger pockets and all these different blogs and articles on the internet. Um, so I really started honing in like I said, if I, if I want to pursue something, I'm really going to go dive in. And I think after about three months of really good reading and research, I was kind of hitting analysis paralysis. And I think that's a key where a lot of investors really overthink it. And, and they're like, man, I don't know enough, or I need to keep studying. And at some point you just got to jump in. And I'll be honest, you're never going to know everything, 
but you got to know enough that you don't drown, but you're not going to start swimming like Michael Phelps, you know, when you first jump in. So I think that was kind of the mindset was, Hey, I know enough to not drown and lose money. I might not make great money on this investment. So just started writing offers. Um, so this would, again, this would have been early 2021 now. And it took us five offers and then we finally got one and going into the space, I kind of had the mindset of let's just buy one a year for the next 10 years. And I do, I, I think that sounds great until you get in the space and then you're like, uh, it's like the old, uh, the old wise tale I heard with, with getting a tattoo. They're like, it's a mile to the first tattoo and then an inch to the second one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I think, I think short-term rentals is kind of the same thing that like, you know, it's a big buildup and a big commitment to get that first one. Once you get the first one, you're like, all right, how do I get two? How do I get three? How do I get four? And so that kind of led quickly to, uh, you know, getting our, our next one in, in August of last year. And so, yeah, like once you, once you get in, there's it's the best learning experience. And so the best advice for anybody would be to do enough research that you don't drown, but you're, you're never going to know it all. Um, know the basics. And then at that point, start writing offers. It's, it's the best preparation. You're going to practice underwriting, looking at projections, looking at rental comps, looking at other listings, seeing what people want. And that's the best experience. And then once you start operating, you, you really learn. There's, there's nothing you can learn until you operate. And that I think is, again, another huge advantage about this asset class is that none of these banks or Wall Streets or anybody they can only do so much from the computer screen versus other asset classes. You have to operationally run these things to truly understand what's involved. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's such an interesting approach. It's like, you know, you're you're not just writing a check. You're you're getting your hands dirty, right? Like you understand. Oh, okay, this is what the guest experience will actually look like. Oh, you you. This is how much it costs to replace a freaking dishwasher like this is how much it, you know you, you learn all these things um because you guys are so boots on the ground and that's just going to make you a more informed investor so the next time around when you're looking at another property that's similar you, you're going to make sure that the appliances are new before you go in because you're slapped with a you know hundred thousand uh, dollar uh you know fee of replacing everything uh, upon upon purchase so i think that that's just a, a really interesting model that you guys are that you guys are pursuing uh, in in terms of the first couple properties you bought, like what kind of properties were they? Like, would you recommend? You know, would you, would you have done anything differently, or was it like a single family home? Was it an ADU? Like, was it a container home? Like, what what did you buy? And do you think that that was like an appropriate first purchase for somebody who's new to the game? Um, I I don't know if if I would recommend following what I did or not following what I did. You know, our first property was eight hours away, um, in a okay. different state. Okay. So I think the most common question I get people are like, dude, why don't you buy in Disney in your backyard? And and there's a whole myriad of reasons why I I I'm not, I won't ever buy in Disney, but uh, we'll save that discussion for later. Um. So yeah, no. Um. Actually, bought a cabin in the Southeast Mountains here. So. Um, growing up in Florida, everything's flat. And so the Southeast mountains are the closest mountains to get to, and you get way better weather than the 105 degree humidity here in Florida. <laughs> so I'd always had experience going to Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, growing up, and knew a lot of these travel towns. And so for me, I was like, man, it would be pretty cool to own a cabin up here. And you know, I already had experience visiting some of these towns. So that's where I started doing research. And I already knew what people like to do because I was there, whether it was, you know, hiking, going to the breweries, the wineries, the um, all the different shops, just the, you know, sitting around and enjoying the mountain views that you don't get here in Florida. So um, that's kind of what we have. Um, and, and that's still what we have is, is that same uh, cabins in, in the Southeast mountains. Um, at some point, we'll diversify, but uh, for now, just continuing to you know grow what we have. And was it when you said, "I don't know if I'd recommend this to somebody else"? Is it is it really because managing a property for the first time, like eight hours away, is just cumbersome? Is it was it really just the distance, or was it? Oh wow, I didn't realize you know how big of a deal like pests were in the mountains or something like that. Like what like what what was what was challenging about the property in particular? Um, I think until you get your system set up, it, it can feel overwhelming. But to be honest, um, 
you know, I, I wouldn't say I don't recommend it because there's great opportunities. Not everybody lives in a very investable short-term rental market. You know, if you live near like Tahoe or somewhere, like it's going to be pretty hard to invest locally. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people are going to have to look there. So again, if you have the right systems in place, it really doesn't become that, um, that difficult. So you just need to build out your systems and, um, you know, get your good boots on the ground team established and that'll allow you to invest anywhere in the country. Yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd love your thoughts on, you know, what that, what those systems, what those boots on the ground teams, you know, look like in a second. But before we get there, like during this process, right, during, since you've, you've been working in this space for a couple years now, um, you know, have you encountered like an, an oh shit moment, like a time where, you know, you were just like, what have I done? Like, why did I buy this place? Or why am I working in this space? Wouldn't it be easier to go back to my old sales job? Like, have there, has, has there been a time where you've just like, wanted to, you know, put your head through a wall? Um, because of because of something challenging? And if so, like, how have you how have you like championed through that doubt? Like, how have you gotten yourself, you know, out of that mindset into into a new mindset? Because you know, this this field, as we've discussed, it's still emerging, right? Like, there's still a lot that's unknown, and especially being new to the industry, and kind of going all in, right? Like, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of risk, uh, lots of opportunity, but also a lot of risk. So talk us through like a, a time where you thought, what did I do? And, and then talk us through how you graduated from that destructive headspace. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the toughest part is, is going all in on the space and it's like, is there enough to buy? And you write a ton of offers and, you know, you, you don't win and you're like, can I acquire anymore? And, you know, get, it, it can be pretty frustrating because of course it's like a roller coaster. You'll get offers accepted, you'll get offers rejected. And so I think sometimes when you're on those losing streaks, you know, again, like harping on baseball, you know, you might be on an O for 10 streak now and it just takes one base hit and you're like, all right, this wasn't that bad. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden it starts compounding. So I think you just got to stick to your, your basics, stick to, uh, stick to your knowledge that you've built and, you know, kind of go back to fundamentals. I mean, that's what spring training is, is go back to fundamentals and relearn, re, um, you know, stabilize those. So I think for me, every time I feel like, man, like, can I even continue to do this full time? Can I continue to build? Can we as a team build this portfolio, um, you, you really just gotta stick to basics and you know put one foot in front of the other and it'll continue to build itself. And after a while you look back and you're like, wow, this has been pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. When you think about um, that, those systems, right? That you recommend folks build and building good systems allows you to in, invest anywhere is, is sort of what you were saying. What, what are sort of those, what are those systems? Like when you think about sort of like the team that you need that, you know, do have their boots on the ground? Like, what are the essentials? And I know that everyone talks about like, when you, when, you know, you talk to some people and they, before you know it, they, they want you to have 10 people that are essentially like on staff managing everything for you. And that's just like not a reality for like a lot of people that are just getting started. So like, what is like the, the basic, the basic system that like, hey, no matter where you are in this journey, you really do need these things in place. And then what's sort of like the, the premium system for once you've got a few things under your belt, like this is what that, that, you know, team 2.0 should look like yeah I, I mean the first player on on your all-star team is your realtor and so there's as we know a million realtors out there but how many of them have the the short-term rental knowledge if you're in a market that has tons of regulations um you know who can understand so we've done a strategic job of partnering with a lot of agents in different markets who have short-term rental backgrounds or only work with investors or the best case scenario, they own one to five short-term rentals themselves. Mm. You know, those are hard to find, but those are the best agents in the world because they've got skin in the game. Yeah. They know exactly what to look for, what to send. So um, it's it, that's that's who you start with. Um, the, the number two, once you get something in an area, um, your best person is going to be your cleaning crew. So, you know, again, this is pursuing the route of, if you wanted to manage it yourself versus hiring that out. But if you are going to manage it yourself, you need an optimal cleaning team. You know, your business is made or broken by that cleaning team. So um, interviewing cleaning teams, references, do they do a good job? Do they have good communication? 
um, I think is really the key. It's also that balance of the solopreneur who it's just one person and you could run the risk of what if she gets sick or what if she's going on vacation versus the big corporation that maybe doesn't care. So for us, we've always found that sweet spot somewhere right in the middle where it's still a small little mom and pop operation, but it's not only mom, you know, and um, you know, after you get the cleaning nail, you'll just need some sort of handyman contractor. And that's for fixing the small issues that might pop up here and there. (laughs) All big issues, you're going to hire a plumber, you're going to hire an electrician, you're going to hire a roofer. So, you know, those aren't as important right away because those are just for bigger issues, but you'll need somebody to help with the small nuances of running the property, small stuff breaks, or the most common thing we get is, uh, people from Florida go to the mountains and they have no idea how to turn a gas fireplace on because those don't exist here. And <laughs> even though there's instructions and a video, they can't figure it out. Or they're like, how do I warm the hot tub up? And again, you can give them all the instructions in the world and all the videos and they still have no idea. So you need somebody <laughs> to be able to call, to go show them. Um, you know, it, it's part of, part of the game. Unfortunately, you are dealing with humans not everybody's the most intelligent, but you're there to offer a good experience for them. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys, I'm just curious, when you work with, uh, in, in within the context of your own portfolio, and as you just talk with your friends and colleagues in the space, like how often are people using like the apps to help service properties, like like TaskRabbit, for instance? Like are, are people, like is it is it better to get, I guess some of these properties are, are probably rather rural, so it might be these apps might not even go that far. Um, this is classic. Like I live in Washington D.C., so um, you know maybe maybe my perspective is a little bit skewed here. But I'm curious, like, what is the percentage breakdown between like using like an app to help service your your uh, property versus like having you know uh, Joe Smith handyman kind of like on call that you can call anytime to go in and service your your spot? Like, do you guys run in? Do you guys sort of advise folks one way or the other? Is it better to have somebody that like is a, is a known face that knows your property over time, or can folks kind of pretty easily get away with using something like a task rabbit to make basic repairs as they come up? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, do you have that supply of labor? And so, you know, if you are investing in rural markets, it, it, it's going to be tougher. Um, they're not going to maybe have service to have an app pulled up um, versus if you're investing in a more urban area, you know, like a metropolitan. So I think it's really very location dependent um, as to what, you know, you're going to utilize as far as technology for um, tasks like that. You yeah. know, we do use a ton of tech, um, you know, within the process of running the business. But when it comes to that aspect of it, I think it's very location specific. And if you can have these tools, I'm always in favor of using them. So if we had the ability to task grab it in the rural mountains, I would a hundred percent utilize it. Um, I don't think anybody knows what that app is or has it on their phone. So, um, that's, that's going to be where the challenge is. Totally. Totally. makes a lot of sense. So I want to play a game. Um, Let's say I'm I'm brand new to real estate. Okay, so I I barely I barely know what a mortgage is even. Right, I'm I'm young, I'm dumb, I I don't I don't know anything, but I I do have some money. Um, let's say, you know, grandma left me some some inheritance that I wasn't expecting. Right, and I I wanna I wanna invest this, and everyone in my circle keeps talking about like. Oh, you should get an Airbnb. You should get, you know, a VRBO. Like, you need to get an ST. You need to get into STRs, right? And I kind of know. I'm like, that's like a vacation home, or like, oh yeah, I stayed in an Airbnb when I was in Europe once. Like, okay, yeah, but I, I don't really know much beyond that. So, if this person, let's say that they're a family member or they're a friend of a family member, so you you owe you owe some obligation to at least entertaining like their their requests for like tell me what to do, right, uh, Taylor. So um, what, what is sort of this, the, the like crawl, walk, run process that, that you would recommend that this person, me, um, w- you know, go through to quote unquote, kind of like get educated and then ultimately purchase their first property? How would you, how would you sort of recommend folks, you know, get in, learn, and then ultimately pull the trigger on a property? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think, again, um, really love the path I took. 
watching YouTube videos from people who are further along. And as far as, you know, just networking in general, I think that's an approach we've always taken is who is just a little further down the road than me? Who already owns one or two? Once you own one or two, who owns four or five? Mm. Once you own four or five, who owns 10 to 12? So if you can always keep learning from somebody just further ahead. So, you know, same thing. I would start watching YouTube videos of guys who had uh, one listing, two listing, three listings starting out, then start reading articles, blog posts, um, accumulate knowledge of the space. And there's so much good free content out there that you, you truly don't have to spend any money. Um, you know, shameless plug. I, I try to put out a lot of great content on Twitter um, about short-term rentals, the asset class as a whole, um, anything to help people out. So there's so much free content. So I would start there. Then once you have a knowledge base, you can start niching down a little bit. And a lot of great people who maybe you don't have, you know, all that money saved up for a down payment. Um, you can go into co-hosting or rental arbitrage. So co-hosting, pretty simple, find somebody with money, you go in and you co-host their property. So you'll help operate it, run it. You're on the listing. It gets you in the day-to-day -day operations. Um, they pay you a percentage of revenue that you negotiate, and it gives you a great way to get in the space, operate and see what it's like to operate a short-term rental, yeah. but you obviously don't own the asset, you know, and then rental arbitrage would be um, another opportunity where, you know, again, you can get in for relatively cheap. Um, you get with uh, apartment land loaners or multifamily or single family landlords. Um, you sign a lease with them, a 12 month lease, let's say for 2000 bucks a month. Then you rent the property on Airbnb VRBO. Your goal is to make three or four grand and net that extra one or two. Obviously there's, you know, rules, regulations and stuff that come with it. But again, that's another great way to get in the space for relatively cheap. And then once you start getting that experience in cash flow, is you just save up, go after, actually acquire that first asset. And then, you know, what I always recommend is, uh, you know, reinvest those cash flows and go in, take that, get number two. Then once you get number two, it'll turn into four, four turns into eight, eight turns into, you know, 16, et cetera. So just continue to do that. And there's so many, like I said, different ways that don't cost any money or don't require a lot of money to get into the space. Yeah, yeah. That was a fantastic answer, by the way. Thank you. Um, I, I I love the I love the different pathways. Quick question for you though, like, you know, do, how many people do you know that are doing this? Like, they're they're doing this full time. Like, they they are relying on the management of let's say a handful, you know, two to two to five properties, and that is like their full time gig. Like. I, I like when I talk to folks like you and, and others, you know, it's it's always like, hey, you know, take take everything that you're making from property one and invest it in property two. If I'm doing this full time, like, and I need to pay myself something, right? Like, how like do you know many people that are that are relying on this as their primary source of income, or are are most of the STR investors that that you know? doing this sort of within the context of, you know, they've got a base salary somewhere else, they've got a job somewhere else. And this is all like supplemental income to, um, and, and therefore they can sort of like immediately invest those, those, um, you know, the, the profit that they're making from the space into, into a new space. Yeah, I would definitely say the majority of people have some sort of other job that, that they, you know, use to pay the bills. And this is kind of that extra on top. At the same token, I have met a couple of people who, um, you know, like like one gentleman in particular, he owns two, but he also manages 10 others. And so uh, in reality, the, the management money is kind of what's paying his mortgage, paying his bills. And then he's starting to take that. So, you know, you, you that's a great little way if you want to be all in on the space is to start build out a little co-hosting business or a management business where, uh, uh, you know, you can, you know, help people manage and once you start building your listings, do some marketing, pick up more clients, do a good job, um, you know, build up, get five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 listings. Maybe you're making, you know, X amount of thousands per month. And once you can live on that, boom, great. And then start investing and you can continue to do that. Um, you know, I think the ultimate goal is to, you know, just be able to live off of those investments uh, for sure. And uh, know, know a couple people who are, you know, getting close. They've got like property number five. They're about ready to leave that day job. And they're like, you know what? I've got six figures coming in on the rental properties. It's about time to, you know, just live on that and, and enjoy this business I built. So um, I think that's the ultimate goal for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, great. I, I appreciate that context. Um, so a few final questions for you here, Taylor. First and foremost, when you like, how do, how do you think about the markets that you want to invest in, per, like personally? Like how have you, you know, during your time thus far at Superhost Labs, I'm sure you've just learned a lot about how other people think. But like, how do, how do you think, uh, what frameworks do you use to determine which markets to invest in and um, and why? And, and like, maybe another way of asking this question is like, what questions do you ask yourself before you go in and, and purchase a property in a, in a particular location? Yeah, I mean, I think you need to understand what's what's the upside and, and what's the downside to each market. So for me, I'm always looking for how many different hedges against downside risk can I, you know, uh, have uh, to, to make this a successful investment. So, you know, right now, I think the general theme that, you know, both me personally and, you know, us at Superhost Labs, when you look at the, the locations that we're invested in in our portfolio, it's a lot of drivable destinations for metros. Hmm. And when you look at the current landscape today, you know, whether initially that was COVID and people just weren't flying, period, whether that was um, people were scared or, or they weren't able to. And then to even now that things have opened up is the cost to fly has absolutely soared. And, you know, inflation, oil, all, all those different things. And so, you know, to us, um, you know, our opinion is, you know, people are still going to want to take vacations. They're still going to get out, but maybe they can't afford to fly to Europe, you know, anymore, or they can't fly to, you know, California, um, you know, from us East Coast people because it is so expensive. So instead, we'll go drive two to four hours to a destination. And I think too, when it comes to like weekend getaways and stuff like that, you know, as somebody again who lives here in Orlando, there's even places around Florida we love escaping that are, you know, hour and a half, two hours away go to the beach, post up, you know, those drivable destinations, I think are a great hedge. Yeah. Um, so for us, that's what we look at as far as great markets to invest in. And that's where we're currently at today and continuing to build around are these two to four hour great little spots to get away from metropolitans across the US. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's super, super interesting. And, you know, I think even just anecdotally, um, it is it is just becoming more it, it's more fun to be like you know what because i can work from wherever like let's drive and rather than figuring out how to fly somewhere let's just drive two hours you know west we'll go to the shenandoah valley from here you know from here in dc and you know we'll add another couple days we'll stay the weekend and then we'll work monday tuesday from that location because we can kind of work from wherever and then we'll drive back and so i think too especially as many people are in positions where they can work from wherever the idea of like a longer term like extending that weekend that you know two nights into four nights uh is just becoming uh more, more doable quite frankly and and more attractive and so i think that like there is something to be said for investing in some an area two to three hours outside of a major metropolitan place where people likely live and i think that you know, people are just going to continue to adopt what, you know, some people are calling sort of like the, the workcation mindset, right? Like, how do you, how do you like meld a vacation with work because you have that flexibility of not needing to be in one particular place to, to do your work? No, absolutely. It's, uh, it's completely changed. And that's where I think there's so much new dynamic with this asset class because, the world's changing, behaviors are changing. And so if you can always kind of stay in line or even one step ahead, I think it's always going to put you in a great, powerful position um, to run a successful business. Yeah. Well, I, I did want to ask you about your your Twitter game because um, it's it's been on fire. And as I, as I, as I mentioned, that's how we connected. And I, I you know, I've certainly, I certainly have followed some folks in the space that I think are, are, are great. But, um, you know, I, I do think that you're doing something I, I let me just say that like I I've learned things from your threads that I walk away thinking oh wow like that was interesting and then like I find myself googling afterwards right like and I think that that's the sign of a great uh, a great tweeter right is is somebody who is somebody who can inspire somebody to like do further learning based off of like. 140 characters right uh, over over the course of a few tweets so I think you're you're doing a you're a killer job on Twitter and I'm. I'm curious, like, have you always just been really good at social? Have you always been good at Twitter? Like, 
how, how have you gotten, how have you sort of amassed the following that you've amassed? And what are a quick couple like pro tips that you'd recommend for, for somebody that does want to up their own Twitter game? Yeah. Um, right around the turn of this year in January, actually, um, I've always kind of been, uh, what, what they call a lurker and, uh, <laughs> you know, that just looking at other people and hanging out, following a bunch of real estate people and learning, and there's a ton of smart people to, to follow in the real estate space. Um, but kind of, you know, a couple of people gave me some words of advice. They're like, Hey, you know, if you want to do that, you just, you should need to get active and contribute because people, you know, it's always a give and take and everybody's taking, but not that many people are giving. So mm. they're like, Hey, start giving as much free stuff as you can, whether that's personal experience, knowledge, insights, anything. And so, you know, the bread and butter is just stay consistent, um, you know, four to five days a week and just try to give something back about short-term rentals. And then at the same time, um, contribute in, you know, comments um, and actively drive the conversation. So I think when people start seeing you pop up in these different, um, you know, comment sections and you're actually providing value, there's a ton of people who are doing memes and people who are, you know, haters and, and nobody likes that. But all of a sudden you see, hey, this is person who's constantly contributing and adding to the conversation. Um, people start following you. They're like, man, this is, this guy's really interesting. He provides good feedback or good insights. And then uh, once that started happening, you know, again, I, I kind of felt that like, Hey, I, I'm going to give, 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 and it's going to be easier to, you know, be on the take side. So if I ever wanted to take things, you know, from Twitter um, you know, I would need to provide enough give out there. And so it's always just been, you know, every week, how much can I give back? How much can I contribute? Um, you know, what can I provide? And, you know, lastly, I've always been a big uh, rising tide lifts all boats theory. Mm. This is such a new asset class. And, you know, when it comes to um, how it gets formed and institutionalized over time, you know, you want to help shape that and make it a positive experience. It does me no good if there's a bad host out there who, uh, you know, doesn't do a good job running their property, a guest has a bad experience, and then they never use the platform ever again. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's not good for anybody. So, you know, I want everybody to be a very good operator. They can steal all of my operational tips. You know, it's going to make me have to do a better job on my own game, which is fine. But if everybody does better job, uh, guests have a better experience, then we're all able to charge more money and that drives more revenue and guests continue to book because they have back. It's just that flywheel. It just keeps going. Yeah. So um, that's kind of the biggest uh, thing that's helped me is just continue to give back to, um, you know, to the crowd and, and to the following of Twitter and, and people appreciate um, those that give because there's a lot of people who just take. Yeah. Ooh, so well said. Do you have like a, do you have you uh, systematized it such that like you like wake up and the first thing that you do from you know seven to eight is like write a thread or like like how do you how do you think about when you post so because i unfortunately the day is so scattered with different tasks um whenever I do have a free moment where there's not a lot on my mind which typically is early mornings or late at night um, and if something comes to me is I just got to get it on paper. So yeah. I'll actually type it up, save it in the drafts yeah. and then always go post it later. I think, unfortunately it might be like, oh, well, I have a gap from one to one thirty, but the brain might be fried. I might've just come out of a meeting where I got too much on my head and I can't think of like, what's good to give back. Yeah. And yeah. so that's been the key is when you have those good creative times is put stuff on paper. And yeah. so there'll be. At any given point, I might have two to five drafts just sitting there because I had some creative flow going and I was like, ooh, this would be a good thing to share or something happened in, in my personal book of business or the, or, you know, Superhost Labs and, and how we're operating. And I was like, oh, this would be great for people. And so again, I'll just get it on paper and then I can always go clean it up later. So it's yeah. just a lot of like bullet points of like, oh yes, check in, check out issues or, ooh, restocking issues here's something that could help other people. So I might just throw a couple bullet points together, save it. And I'll be like, Hey, when I get a free moment, I'll come back to this, but I at least have my core thesis down on paper to be able to send out later. Love it. Love it. Love it. That makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, I feel like, yeah, you've just given me a, a, a couple ideas as you've, as you've been talking about how to, how to think differently about my own Twitter game. So I appreciate that. Hey, uh, final question for you, man. Um, is what, 
what book or podcast or, or other resource has been most helpful and or even just you know most inspirational to you over the last couple of years as you've as you've ventured out on this new path yeah um my kind of rotation right now is the my first million um i think that's the entrepreneur in me new ideas um those guys are great yeah um, the Fort Podcast with Chris Powers is a, a masterclass in real estate as a whole. So for me, um, just listening to all the different types of people that get brought on um, and, and learning about all the different asset classes and then, um, you know, different sub niches within real estate has been absolutely phenomenal. And there's some very powerful, smart people on there, um, as well as Chris, you know, himself giving back. Um, you know, the, the, the love and hate of Nick Huber, sweaty startup, um, you know, everybody's got an opinion, but, you know, I do appreciate just some of the, again, the real estate, the, the business know-how, um, and everything that's going on there. So that's kind of my rotation right now is, uh, business entrepreneurship, real estate and, and staying afloat with all of that. Great, great, great picks. Um, I, don't know Fort Podcast. I haven't listened to that, but I love the other two. So, um, well, hey man, this has been this has been wonderful. Really appreciate you taking time out of your super busy life to share forty seven minutes with us. Um, this has been this has been wonderful. Where where can folks uh, follow you slash reach out should they want to learn a little bit more about who you are and and what you're building? Yep, uh, definitely find me on Twitter, Mister Jones STRs. Um, you know, um, superhostlabs.com. You can check out what we're building, what we're doing. Um, you know, if you want to be involved, um, you know, we've got tons of different programs. We're building a community out. So we'll have some community and collaboration uh, going on. So um, check out the website. We'll, we'll post everything there that we're, um, you know, working on developing on. And yeah, that, that's where you can find me. Wonderful. And we will drop those links in the show notes uh, below. So if you are listening to this, just scroll down on whatever device you're using and you can find Taylor on Twitter and the Superhost Labs website. Hey, man, thanks again for your time. Absolutely. Thank you, Zach. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe, um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.